Over this past month, uh, some of you have participated well in being here to hear sermons in a series that has been entitled Cloud of Witnesses. Um, These sermons were not original to either Stephanie or myself. They were original with other persons who had specific missions, and you could hear that in the preachings of those mornings. Today is the last of the sermons, and if you are new to this, uh, what we will do is to have somewhat of a a pop quiz at the end of the sermon. Um, I will not tell you who preached this sermon originally, Some of you may have an idea of who that is. I will give you an opportunity at the close of this sermon to speak out the name of the person who you think was the original preacher. Whether you get that right or whether you get it wrong, I will clear things up and share with you a short biography, a bio of of the individual who preached the sermon. And so we share together once again in a sermon in the cloud of witnesses. It was in the region of the Gerasenes that Jesus saw him, that man living among the tombs. They say he was a demoniac, crazy, absolutely crazy beyond the community's ability or desire to include him in their life. So they banished him to the community's cemetery, a desolate, lonely place of death for he was beyond hope. I don't know how Jesus wound up at the local cemetery, but Jesus does have a way of always going to the edge, to the places of deep human suffering, somehow finding those persons whose suffering no one else seems to notice. Jesus startles us by where he goes. He also startled that poor Gerasian demoniac. When he saw Jesus coming, he cried out to him, what have I done that you have come to visit me? Please, please don't torment me. Can you not see that I am already tormented by a legion of forces? I wonder what tormented that brother who lived among the tombs in Gerasian. To simply say that he was afflicted by mental illness is to escape the fact that this is a story of healing filled with symbolism. As serious as mental illness is, there is even more than that to this story. Biblical scholars agree that this brother embodies the suffering of an entire community. He lived in a pagan land under Roman domination. It doesn't take long to realize that he absorbed unto himself the anxiety of a people under social, economic, political, and religious oppression. He lives among the tombs, totally out of control, often hurting himself and desecrating the resting place of the dead through his very presence. His only human contact occurs as persons come to bury or remember their loved ones who have died. And these he frightens away. Though living, he is treated as if he were one of the dead. He was tormented in body and soul 
and spirit. And he begs Jesus to not add to his torment. But Jesus has come not to add to human torment, but to free us from all that torments us. Jesus comes to free us from all the lifeless tombs of our lives. He comes to free us from death that we may have life. And so he heals Legion, the demoniac, of all that torments him and gives him life. With one touch of the mercy of Christ Jesus, that Gerasian demoniac legion, our brother went from being a crazy, lost soul, living all alone, smack in the middle of death, to having his mind and life restored to him. Praise God. Praise God. You would think that those in the community from which Legion had come would also have been praising God. But praises were not the word that spread throughout that community. Instead, fear and reproach spread like wildfire. The community came and gathered among the tombs. Oh, how people love to chase the ambulance. How we love to check out the rumors and the latest scandal. And it was scandalous. Jesus had taken the legion of torments and sufferings of the poor Gerasian demoniac and sent them into a large herd of swine that was feeding on the hillside. Afflicted and confused, the swine had rushed down the steep bank of the hillside into the belly of the sea and drowned. And as they gathered, the people could still hear the echo of the stampeding and the squealing of the swine, the terrible splash of water as they hit the sea. And then the silence, a silence filled with the message that a dramatic change had come, not only for Legion, but for all of them. Life would never be the same. Men and women, Young people and children all came to see this dramatic change. Before them sat legion, no longer naked, but clothed, and no longer insane, but in his right mind. Did those people rejoice and praise God for the wonderful miracle of change and hope that had just occurred? But of course not. Who in their right mind wants change? (laughs) They had gotten used to legion. Gotten used to ignoring him and mistreating him. They had gotten used to talking badly about him and gotten used to cursing him for being a burden to their conscience and an eyesore to their community. And the herd of swine... In sending the legions of torments into them and lending them to their death, did Jesus not know that he had just disrupted the entire economy of their whole community? This demoniac wasn't worth it. As they say here in my native Texas, heck no. They didn't praise Jesus. They asked him to leave. I'm reminded of the response that I so often hear these days when Jesus comes among us 
and heals the legion of torments and suffering of the immigrants who sojourn in this world. On this day, immigrants all over the globe are suffering as they seek escape from religious oppression and political oppression and the oppression of poverty. In the area where I serve, a desert swallows up hundreds of men, women, and children every year as they travel from the south to the north in order to feed and clothe and provide shelter for their families. I am so very proud of United Methodists who have been caring for the immigrant on the border, providing a bit of water and a bit of care. Others have been advocating for comprehensive immigration reform. Thanks be to God for all of you. But there are also those among us who write to me as a bishop of the church and say, shame on you. Shame on you for supporting the giving of water to those immigrants in the desert. Don't you dare use a penny of my money for caring for those immigrants. They aren't worth it. If you do, I'll withhold my offerings. What kind of an American are you that you would support those foreigners in breaking our U.S. laws? Oh, my brothers and sisters, why? Why? Why would we want to leave anyone to die in the desert? The southern desert of this country has become our own Gerasian cemetery to which we have banished those whom Jesus would remind us are our brothers and sisters. These immigrant men, women, young people, and children are beloved of God just as you and I are. And if you happen to have a conversation with an immigrant brother or an immigrant sister, they will tell you that God is their strength and Christ Jesus is their faithful companion. I want to be a responsible citizen in the country where I live. But even more than that, so much more than that, I want to be a faithful citizen of the reign of God. That holy reign that has come and is yet coming. That holy reign where Jesus alone is Lord. Jesus is not an American, nor is he a German or a Filipino or a Liberian. He is not even simply a Nazarene. For Jesus is so much more than that. Nor is Jesus beholden to U.S. immigration policies or the immigration policies of any nation. For Jesus is so far above all of that. Jesus is the son of the most high God 
who comes proclaiming good news to all who are tormented by the sins of this world. Jesus is the son of the most high God who comes announcing that the reign of God has arrived and life will never be the same. There are hundreds of thousands of immigrants and refugees all over this world suffering a legion, a legion of torments on this very day. May God have mercy upon them and may God have mercy on our souls. They are unfortunately not the only ones who join our poor brother, the Gerasian demoniac legion, living in the death pits of this world. Poverty and the torment, suffering and unnecessary death it brings affects too many of our brothers and sisters in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, in the Middle East, in Latin America, and the Caribbean, and even in North America. A global economic machine that continues to reap the very best of God's good gifts for the few, leaving a great majority of God's children only subsisting or living on the edge of death, is today shaping our communities and lives. As United Methodists, we have committed together to overcome poverty in community with the poor. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you and I can overcome poverty, not even in community with the poor. I'm not sure we are smart enough or disciplined enough or compassionate enough to overcome poverty. But I do not lose hope. And I pray that you will not lose hope. For there is a hope beyond ourselves. Namely, Jesus the Christ, who is smart enough and disciplined enough and compassionate enough and loving enough and powerful enough to work with us and through us to overcome poverty and the legions of troubles it brings. When our Council of Bishops met in Mozambique, Africa in 2006, I saw that precious hope beyond ourselves. I saw Christ Jesus at work through his disciples. One Sunday while in Mozambique, as we, the members of the Council of Bishops, were sent forth in teams to visit the United Methodist churches in that wonderful land, I went with a team that was taken to a small developing community about 45 minutes from Maputo, where we were meeting. We arrived and soon realized that we had been sent to a fairly new church start. In fact, the church building had only three walls and the roof was but a, a blue tarp. The church 
The body of Christ, however, was standing tall. Worship was joyful and full, and the witness was strong. These were solid disciples of Christ Jesus. But in that wonderful and rich service of worship, the poverty in which our united Methodist brothers and sisters live did not go unnoticed. It was visible in that community of faith and all around us. A father dead much too young because of poverty. A child orphaned because its mother lacked adequate and very basic medical care. A neighborhood without water or electricity or schools. Poverty was obvious and clear to us. But the people, the people called Methodists in that place had a hope beyond themselves. After worship and before a feast of fish and legumes and ripe bananas eaten under a gorgeous cashew tree, lay leaders of this community of faith took us to where they had first been formed as a church. It was up the road and deeper, deeper into that developing community. And when we got there, there was even less of a building than where we had worshipped. In fact, all we saw was, again, the three walls, and this time, a roof of straw. And when we looked at our Mozambican brothers and sisters, as we stood on that plot of land with that simple straw structure, they were all smiling. We weren't sure what their smiles meant, so we asked are you going to sell this property in order to finish your buildings on your new site? Upon hearing our question, their smiles fell from their faces and they looked at each other with a certain befuddlement. And then they gently said to us, no, we are not going to sell this property. And then with great passion, they said, We are going to build a school right here. And after the children are out of school, we will have a clinic right here. And over there, they said, as they pointed to one small water faucet, over there we will provide water for all of those who live here. We move from this place. But we cannot abandon our brothers and sisters. They need us. We were amazed by what we saw and heard. The poor helping the poor because they have been filled by a hope beyond themselves. I trust in this hope beyond ourselves. I trust in Jesus to help us overcome poverty in community with the poor. But allow me to address one final concern 
That concern is fear. I am sure that if it isn't already happening right now, as we think about overcoming poverty, that it will happen as soon as we get home. We will become fearful, fearful of the enormity of the task, fearful of becoming overwhelmed by its demands, fearful of losing what we have and being left without, and even fearful of those who are poor around us, fearful of the legions of the world. I remember as a child how fearful I would become when our pastor happened to preach a sermon about legion, the Gerasian demoniac who lived among the tombs. It didn't help a bit that my family and I lived on a farm called Cemetery Settlement because we were right on the edge of the local cemetery. So when I would hear a sermon about Legion, it would be a few nights before I could again sleep without fear. And maybe this morning we are all feeling a bit of fear. But I would say to you people of the United Methodist Church, as I say to myself, as I say to myself, grow up, grow up. Let us grow up and quit hiding behind fear. Let us be mature Christians. Disciples of Jesus Christ, trusting in him, but also confessing that the greater part of our fear is probably that we may be complicit in the poverty of the world. Confessing that the United Methodist Church, particularly many of us who live in the U.S., we are wealthy beyond what we deserve or need. And also confessing that we do not always use our resources as God would have us use them. I believe that growing up and being faithful followers of Christ Jesus, along with a good dose of confession, will free us from our fears. But even more, I do so believe And that hope beyond ourselves. I believe in Christ Jesus who will overcome poverty in community with the poor. And I pray that we will be with him when that day comes. Amen. Amen. So this is a tough one, right? Is there anybody here that has figured this out? Who preached this sermon originally? T.D. Jakes. That sounded interesting back there. T.D. Jakes, boy, he would, I think, be okay with that sermon. He certainly would. But he is not the one that preached it, Deb. That's a good guess. Anybody else want to venture a guess? United 
It is. It is. Sue, Sue and I sat watching our computer screen back in 2008 as we were observing from a distance um, the general conference of our denomination. This sermon was preached at that event, and it was preached by Minerva Carcano. Minerva is presently serving as the United Methodist Episcopal leader in the California Nevada Conference. It was in 2004 that she became the first Hispanic woman to be elected to the Episcopacy in the United Methodist Church. Bishop Carcano was born in Edinburgh, Texas. She completed degrees at the University of Texas at Pan American and also at Perkins School of Theology. She was ordained in 1976 and has served congregations in Texas, New Mexico, and California. While having served on several national boards for our denomination, she is best known for her long history of committed involvement in ministries with immigrants and refugees, the poor, and U.S.-Mexico border communities. She has encouraged and led congregations to be active in community organizing and to work together to create a world of justice and peace. Aren't you glad that Bishop Minerva Carcano is among the great cloud of witnesses?